This talk was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of the North Church, as part of the 2023 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Campus Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. Today, or this morning, we're going to talk about biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Um, but these, as you know, is a pretty hot topic in our culture right now. So before we dive in, I wanted to address two cultural things um, and what culture would address about our sexuality and our gender. So the first one, right now I feel like culture would say your sexuality, how you define yourself when it comes to your gender, um, is the most important thing about you. And I want to tell you that that is a lie. Um, I mean, even on Monday, John talked about how your justification, your standing um, before God is the most important thing about you. There's another famous dude, I don't remember his name, so I just quoted him. But he said, um, what you believe about God and your stance with him is the most important thing about you. So your gender, your sexuality, where you stand in that is not the most important thing about you. But as a Christian, it is a very important thing about you, and I hope to convince you um, that it's important and that you should take it seriously. So we will go there, but it's not the most important thing. Um, so to get into that, why is your gender important as a Christian, and why should you take it seriously? So we'll dive into some verses in creation, um, but just quickly, before the fall, when God made all the world, opened his mouth to sing the world into existence, that was when he created gender. So it's important, he made trees, he made the sky, he made all these things to portray who he is. And when he made humans, he gave them two genders. So why, why did he not make humans and keep them binary, or non-binary, um, which means non-gender? And I think it's because with the two separate genders, he's portraying beautiful aspects about who he is and together create a full image of him. So. Let's say that I give you a thousand or two, a couple thousand dollars, and I ask you, I want you to paint a picture about me. And in that picture, I want you to display as much as you possibly can about me so that someone who's never met me can look at that picture and it would almost be as if they had met me in person. That's how greatly detailed that picture would be. In order for you to do that task well and earn the money, um, two things would need to happen. One, you would need to learn a lot about me, everything you possibly can, so that you know what to put in the picture and what not to put in the picture or the painting. Um, and the second thing is you would need to take very great care about the details you put in the painting, because every detail you put in there would communicate something to the person looking at the painting. So you don't want to put something on there that would miscommunicate something about who I am, but would hopefully only communicate the things you know are true about me. So this is what God did. The beginning of time, when he's creating things, he knows I want to portray who I am to the world, so he creates two paintings of himself, one in male, one in female, and in there, he's showing who he is. So for us, we should learn as much as we possibly can about who God is, and then in our gender, line up as much as we can of our details to make sure we're portraying the accurate picture of what he's trying to do. So. That's culture lie number one, most important thing about you. It's very important, it's not the most important, and we do need to take great care so that we can align our gender images appropriately to display the true aspects of God. The second cultural message that's out right now about gender and sexuality is 
um, that you can determine whatever you want about your gender and your sexuality based off of how you feel. And from the beginning of the Bible, beginning of time, um, and all throughout the Bible and all throughout history, this is not how God functions. God always, in the beginning, was God, not man. God creates, God says, and thus man is and man does. Um, so this is also a fault and a false truth of what's going on. Um, I mean, think about this in any other aspect of your life. Do you always feel like waking up early to go to Walmart? Probably not. But you get up and you do it and you submit to something greater than you because you want your paycheck at the end of the day, right? Or do we always feel like getting up to read our Bible in the morning? No. Sometimes we probably sleep and give in to that. But other days you fight against that. You go against your feeling because you know this is going to be better for me. And even in positive ways, do you feel like a, a chosen king's son or a chosen king's daughter, a daughter and son of the king of the universe? I know that I don't ever feel like that, but God says that that's true about who I am. So that is the truth of my identity, whether I feel it or not. And we do that in every other area of our life, but gender and sexuality right now are telling us that we can change it how we want. And there's a book um, called The Rise and Fall of Modern Society, and he talks about how, let's say 50 years ago, if I were to go to the doctor and say, I feel like a man trapped inside of a woman's body, the doctor would be like, okay, well, let's figure out why you're thinking that, feeling that way. And they would work with my psych and my feelings to align with your body is clearly a woman. So let's, let's get your mind to line up with that. Well, nowadays, if I, same person, go to the doctor today and say, I feel like a man trapped in a woman's body, then they would be like, okay, your body is clearly wrong. So let's line up your body with how you're feeling. Same person, same exact problem, but in 50 years time, the result has flipped. So all that's showing here is that we are constantly, our culture is letting us constantly filter and change how we identify ourselves. And this isn't just gender, isn't just sexuality. We do this because we're all influenced by our culture. So we do this in any kind of aspect, any kind of category, um, even if it's not the specific one. So what would it be in 10, 20, 30 years? We are always fighting to figure out who we are and our identity based off what we think or what other people think or what the culture is telling us. But God is telling us, as Christians, we should always, always, always be filtering our identity through what he says, not through what we feel about it, not through what other people tell us, and not what our culture is telling us. And that's a, that's a battle we have to fight because the rest of the world is gonna be telling us otherwise. So all I have to say with gender and every other piece of your life, I want you to fight to believe what God says. You are a son, you are a daughter, of the king if you believe in Jesus, whether you feel it or not, whether the world agrees with it or not, and same thing with gender. So we're gonna start with, what does God have to say about our gender? Yeah, so uh, like Ariana said, uh, this can be an emotionally you know, charged topic. Uh, Derek let me know before this that he loves conflict. Um, I am leaving, like I'm flying out today, so if you do have questions, and you want conflict, Derek would love to talk to you. So, Derek, where are you? Raise your hand. So, yeah, he's back there. Everybody, that's Derek. He wants conflict, so go talk to him if you have questions. Um, so the way that we're going to be doing this talk is um, we're going to look at, if, if you think about uh, Scripture, and, and one of the ways that it's commonly been described is uh, the grand narrative of Scripture is creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. And so 
we're going to look at the first three of those parts, uh, creation, fall, and redemption, and we're going to talk about what those things say about manhood and womanhood. And I'm going to, uh, primarily me, will be spending a lot of time in the, in the text from the Bible, and then each of us will pull uh, things from uh, the text and what they say about manhood and womanhood. And we wanted to do it this way instead of just like one of us talking for 20 or 30 minutes and the, then the other one going because it's, it's so hard uh, to say one thing about manhood uh, without also saying what the Bible says about womanhood from that same text. And so we're going to be kind of jumping back and forth as we go through it. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and open uh, your Bibles there. And we're going to start in verses 26 and 27. Uh, actually, we'll read uh, 26 through 28. So this is the creation of man and woman on, uh, on Genesis 1's creation account. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over, all, uh, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so, right off the bat, we see with creation of man and woman, uh, that they are actually way more alike than they are similar. So, man and woman are both made in the image of God. Nothing else in all of creation was made in the image of God, only man and woman. Man and woman are both given the command to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, God is the capital K, big king of the universe and has ultimate authority, but he has given uh, lowercase k, king authority to both men and women. Uh, he's given them both kingship to have dominion over the world. Men and women are both the pinnacle of God's creation. And so if you think about, you know, you hear the phrase saving the best for last, God created uh, all these things on the first five days and on the last day of creation, on the sixth day, God saved man and woman for last. And together they were both the pinnacle of God's creation. They were the only thing made in his image. And then perhaps most importantly, uh, both paint a more full picture of who God is. And so like Ariana was talking about, God said, I want to paint an image on the world and the best way that I can paint a full image isn't to just create man by himself or woman by himself, but together they're going to paint a more full picture of who God is. And so we think about some of the qualities that men and women have and how they might paint a more full picture. Um, so is God mysterious or is God knowable? Well, he's, he's both, right? Is he relational or is he missional? Is God strong or is he gentle? Um, so Ariane is going to spend some time talking about how men and women um, uh, paint that more full picture um, here in a few minutes. But let's keep going. Let's go to Genesis 2. Genesis 1 paints the 30,000-foot view of, of all of creation, the whole creation week. Genesis 2 zooms in to the creation of man and woman. And so this is where we start to see some, some of the differences between uh, men and women, men and women. So let's pick up in verses 5 through 7. 
When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man uh, to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Okay, so God made Adam first. Okay, Eve does not yet exist. God made Adam first. And what does he use to make Adam? No, someone said bone. What? Dust. He, makes, he uses dust to make Adam. Okay, so file these observations away. Let's go to Genesis 2, uh, 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, Eve is still not yet created. Uh, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, you shall not eat, for in the day you eat it you shall surely die. And so God has given Adam authority over this garden, but he gives him one rule. There's this tree, and you're not allowed to eat of it. And so God is establishing again the authority structure and the way that it works. Hey, Adam, you are in charge of the creation, but lest you forget every single day when you wake up, there's going to be a tree there and there's going to be a rule associated with that tree reminding you that this is the way the world works. I, God, am ultimately in charge and you function under my authority. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, verse 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and uh, to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. All right, so. Over and over and over again, if you look at the Genesis uh, chapter 1 account, after every day, you'll see that God would say, and God saw that it was good. But in Genesis 2, 18, this is the first time we see something is not good. God says that it is not good that man should be alone. And so God, out of Adam's rib, makes Eve, and uh, Adam responds, praise God, right? Uh, I've been... Uh, when I first got here, I've been sleeping by myself, but the first two days I was here, uh, Dayton and Mike were in my room and, you know, there's some good looking guys, but I never saw them and was like, man, praise God. I get to sleep with Dayton and Mike tonight. Now, I've been gone for 10 days. And when I get home, I'm going to see my wife and I'm going to be like, praise God. It's, you know, nothing against Dayton and Mike, but I'll be very excited uh, to see my wife. So God, we see that God makes... Eve out of Adam's rib, okay? So another observation, um, remember, how did God make Adam? Out of dust, okay? God makes Eve out of Adam's flesh, okay? Let's also make another observation. So creation, man and woman were made last because they were the pinnacle of God's creation. But of 
Man and woman, who was made last? Woman, okay? So Adam made first out of dust, woman made last out of flesh. We see that uh, woman was actually created to be the pinnacle of God's creation, the most beautiful part, uh, the glory, the crown jewel of God's creation was woman. Um, for Adam, he has this special role. For men, we have this unique role to be responsible, to be accountable, to make a lasting impact. Uh, the word for male, zakar, uh, means to remember or means remember. Um, and so there's this idea, even in our name, that we want to make a lasting impact. And women were created to be the beauty, the glory, and the pinnacle of God's creation. So to summarize, I think the things we want to point out from, from chapter 1 and 2, we see in the beginning, there was God. God made man first, uh, and then out of man he made woman, and together they were supposed to image him and rule over all creation. And so we see this structure of God, uh, man, woman, creation. Man being uh, his role to lead, to make a lasting impact. Woman being uh, to be the beauty, the glory, and the pinnacle of God's creation. So it's, it's beautiful to see both of them made to design and reflect God's image. Because you can think of any argument or debate that's gone on in our culture in the last couple of decades over are women equal to men? And yes, 100% yes. And don't take that my word for it. Take God's word for it. From the beginning, God said, I want my image displayed in woman. Like how much more equal and significant is that for a woman and a man to have? So they are equal from the beginning, given specific and already different roles, but given the task to still work in creation and bring life. So let's take our picture seriously. Um, what are these things about God that we can portray? And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things as you read the Bible about who God is that are seemingly a paradox or dichotomies, um, but it's, it's cool because it's who he is. So he describes himself as a lion, but he's also described as the lamb. He's a judge that's gonna bring judgment, but then he also is merciful. He has wrath, but then he also gives pardon. He's far away, but he's also near. So there's tons of things like this in the Bible where God seems like, wait, how do these go together? And it's cool because man and woman get to portray both of those sides and the fullness of who God is. So I'm gonna dive into a couple. There's tons of ways that I think men and women do this, but I'll just address a few. Um, so the world is wondering, okay, there's this God that's out there. Is this God distant and far away? Or is this a God that's going to come near and show up? And then you have man. And man, like John's talking about, he's given command, he's given leadership, he moves, he makes an impact, and he's strong. And so we get to see, yes, God is going to move, God is going to show up, and God's going to have a lasting impact there. So then the world wonders, okay, is it a good thing that he's going to show up? <laughs> like, is he going to show up and fight for me? Is God good? But we get to see in woman, one, just look at a woman, Yes, God is good. Like, how can women be as beautiful as they are without God being a good, creative God? So we get to see that, yes, God is good because women, we show that God is sweet and he's kind and he's caring and he's a giver of life. So he shows up, but he also fights on our behalf. So with man and woman together, we get to the portrayal of how God is going to show up and he's also good. 
Okay, well, is God mysterious or is God knowable? Um, show of hands, men, if you feel like you have understood female gender. Yep, great. Uh, half, half raise. I'm going to doubt you on that one. You don't know a ton of women then. Must have been passed. But even women. I feel like raise your hand if you feel like you've figured out the female gender. I'm like, half the time, I'm still trying to figure out myself. I don't know how many times I wake up and Lucas is like, what's going on with you today? I'm like, I don't know. I just woke up like this. You just don't understand why you feel the way you feel, right? Um, I was talking with my, uh, my sister's boyfriend a couple weeks before we came to Project, and he was explaining to me some of the conflicts that they've been having, and he was like, it took me a while to realize what was going on in our conflicts. Like, I felt like we were getting things resolved, and I would leave and go home, and what I came to find out was that um, she had taken the one thing I said down like 20 different rabbit holes of what I could have meant by what I said. And I started laughing, and he's like, why are you laughing? I'm like, well, welcome to dating a woman. Like, it's not that simple. He's like, I, I don't care why it's complicated. I say what I mean, and I mean what I say. I'm like, yeah, it's not that simple for us. So, <laughs> women are complex. Lucas likes to say complicated, but the word is complex. <laughs> we, are, we are mysterious. There's so much about our own bodies that we just do not understand, and our own feelings. And it's a beautiful thing, because our God is very mysterious. I mean, think of the things we've been reading in Mark, where it's like the secrets are being revealed. So these mysteries of who God is, he's not just this mysterious, but you don't get to know me. The secrets are being revealed. So you think about man. Man is fairly more simple and knowable. Um, they mean what they say, and they say what they mean. You know, it's not quite as complicated um, than we can sometimes tend to be. Now, can men be mysterious? Yes. Can women be knowable? Yes. Okay, I'm not trying to paint extremes. You gotta fight the extreme ditches here, but if you ask any comedian or any movie producer, there's a reason why these genders get painted this way. It's because there's a large generality of how these things happen. But it's cool because together, the mysteriousness of women and the knowability of men, you put them together and you get this beautiful picture about how God is mysterious, but he's letting us know him. So then, okay, he's mysterious, he's letting us know him. Like, why does he want us to know him? What does that look like? Does he come to us? Does he initiate relationship with us? Or does he invite us to be in relationship with him? And you can look all over the Bible and it's both. Um, he has verses where he says he will come to his people. He came to his people and his people did not know him. But then he has verses where he says, come, draw near to me. So it's a mixture of both. So in man, we get to see how um, God takes action and he moves and he initiates. And um, he mentioned the Greek word zakar, which I didn't know before. Um, with men, which means remembered. They want to have a lasting impact. Um, and someone smarter than me that knows Greek and I don't, Paul Poteet, not the apostle, he told me that the Greek word for female in Genesis 1.27 is negeba, which means open or punctured. So you have remembered, going out, making an impact man, and then open, punctured, um, warm, welcoming, inviting for the woman. So together, again, God invites his people, like we as women do. We invite relationships to us, and we're warm, and we're receiving, and we're welcoming of these relationships. Um, we had a counselor come out and do gender training for our team a couple years ago, and he talked about how men should be strong on the outside and firm, but soft and warm on the inside. And women are the opposite. We should be soft and warm on the outside, 
but we're strong and firm on the inside. And I thought that was a beautiful picture. So together we show how God moves towards his people, but how God also invites his people to him. So what is he initiating and inviting for? It's, is it for us to be given a mission to go on, or is it for us to be in relationship with him? Well, it's both. So um, women are deeply relational. Again, this does not mean that men are not relational. Fight the ditches here. But there is a difference in the relational ability. How many times have you seen men get up in a party to go to the bathroom? Probably never. How many times do women travel in parties to go to the bathroom together? We just do. We like to do things with one another. Um, Lucas has two close guy friends that he plays games with, and he can spend like hours with them. And after, he spent like three or four hours with these guys, and afterwards I was like, hey, how's Alex's daughter doing with her diagnosis of potentially being blind? He goes, I have no idea, I didn't ask. I'm like, you spent four hours with him and you didn't ask anything about his family? He's like, no, we don't do that. I'm like, I just can't, it just doesn't make sense to me. I'm like trying to learn how to have shoulder to shoulder time with girls on my staff team. And it's like literally within five minutes, we're like, okay, but how are you really doing like face to face? Like we're just so deeply relational. And I think that there's a beauty about that though, of like men like to be shoulder to shoulder accomplishing something together. That's how they were designed to go at something. And that doesn't mean that you guys don't ever ask how you're doing. That was just an example from Lucas. Um, but we, as women, we tend to be very, very relational face-to-face -face and deep. And I think that's how God made us. Um, and even Eve means the mother of living. Um, so there is a part of my body, I don't I think it's an organ, um, that literally has nothing to do with my body except to carry life for another body. That's my home to me. Like it could be removed from me and I would be totally fine. But God put it in my body so that I can have space for another life. Like how, that's, that's crazy. But that's evidence of the woman being a giver of life. Um, and you can, I can see this in the ways that even nurturing can play out. Um, Lucas had our nephews over for more than half of the day, and then they realized when they went home, his sisters texted him and were like, did you not feed our children? And he was like, no, I forgot to. Like, you had them for nine hours. How did you forget to feed them? There's just differences. <laughs> so, that would never have happened. I bet. And he thinks two minutes. And maybe it's just some um, so, I'm glad my wife's not up here. She would have a lot of similar stories about me. So. I know. Lucas almost didn't come. I'm like, now he's here. I wonder if I should edit half my stuff, but it's fine. Um, so God is full of beautiful mystery. Okay? He warmly invites us to know him and discover the mysteries of who he is. And then he does this through personal relationship with him through his son. And through that, he gives us life and then sends us on mission. So all of these pieces together... Male and female are meant to be a full picture, not separated, and we get the fullness of who God is in that. So when you guys interact, when men and women interact in friendships, in dating, in relationships, in um, friendships within the church, in small groups, in all kinds of ways like that, we then get to paint a beautiful picture to each other, to ourselves, and to the rest of the world of the fullness of who God is. Um, and, and it's fun, and it's beautiful to be part of, so I'm excited to take these parts of God seriously. Yeah, so all of these things that we're talking about, all of this has happened before the fall. And so we see that 
you know, like we said, man and woman are uh, different and beautiful, and they both paint a full picture of God. And so we're going to look at the fall now, and how does uh, the fact that sin entered the world, how does that uh, change the game for manhood and womanhood? So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of any trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man, uh, the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave me, uh, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Okay, so I want you to remember the order that we talked about, right? So God created man, out of man God created woman, and together they were supposed to rule over creation. Okay, so let's think about what the serpent has done here. If you were going to put the serpent into one of those categories, uh, God, man, woman, creation, which one would it be? Creation, right? So the serpent could have come disguised as an angel, could have come disguised as a man or a woman, but the serpent comes in creation, right? Why does, why does uh, Satan do that? Well, who does, let's think about the order, okay? Who does Satan go to? To tempt. Which one? The woman, okay? The woman eats of the fruit, and then what does she do? She gives it to the man who's leading and saying, no, 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 don't do that. No, he's standing there passively watching the whole thing go down, and then Adam has to answer to God, and then God comes to the garden, and who does he go to? He doesn't go to Eve, who ate the fruit first. He goes to Adam, because he's ultimately responsible, and Adam does what? He blames his wife, uh, and then his wife blames the serpent. Okay? So why did Satan come in the form of creation? It's because Satan wasn't just trying to cause a little bitty sin to be committed. Satan was trying to reverse all of created order. He was saying, no, God, you want it to be God, man, woman, creation. I'm here to say it's going to be creation, woman, man, God. And so as you think about why is there so much chaos and confusion in the world, not just gender, but all across the board, we see that it wasn't just a little sin, it wasn't just a bite of fruit, but all of created order was thrown into chaos um, by this act because all of created order was reversed through what Satan had done. 
Uh, in Genesis 3 and verse 7, we see, uh, Then the eyes of both, Adam and Eve, were open, and they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. So their immediate, before they were naked and unashamed, but their immediate response to sin is that they feel this guilt and this shame and this desire to cover up. And so what does that mean for us today? What does it mean for man and woman? Well, we don't sew fig leaves and cover ourselves up in that way, but we have these deep uh, insecurities that point to a need that we have, a desire that we have to be covered up. And so what are those insecurities? For, for women, uh, the, the, the insecurities and the curse, they, they correlate directly with what they were originally created to do. So for a woman who was originally created to be the beauty, the glory, and the pinnacle of God's creation, the deepest insecurity, the question that women ask is, am I beautiful? Am I, am I glorious? Like, do you, do you see me, right? Um, so I've got a picture of my daughter up here. So this is Evelyn. She's five years old. Um, she likes taking pictures, if you can tell. Uh, I think this sums up her, this picture on the left. She's wearing her helmet. She's like her daddy. Okay, she loves thrills. She likes to ride her bike. She likes water slides. She loves doing crazy stuff like her daddy. But she, you can see the purple straps around her shoulders. She's wearing a backpack. And in the backpack, she carries around all day uh, her stuffies, her little stuffed animals and her little toys. And she feeds them and changes their diaper and she just takes care of them all day. Uh, and then she's wearing a dress and a purse. And she loves to do that. She loves to dress up. She dresses herself every morning and she'll come downstairs and I'm making breakfast. And she picks her out for whatever it is. And guess what the first thing she'll often say to me when she comes down the stairs? She says, Daddy, am I beautiful? Daddy, how do I look? And she's five years old. She does not understand Genesis chapter three yet, but she is already suffering under the curse of the fall. And every day she wants to know, Daddy, do you see me? Daddy, watch me. Am I beautiful? Am I glorious? And she's already wanting to know the answer to that question. Okay, so that's, uh, Ariana is going to touch uh, more on that. For guys, so much of your desire deep down are, uh, is good, right? The, the desire to lead, to make a lasting impact, to make your life count. These are like incredible desires. It's truly an amazing thing to be a man. But the fall has dramatically corrupted our desires. And so we originally created to be leaders making a lasting, meaningful impact. Now men, our deepest insecurity, the question we ask not, is not, am I beautiful, but is, am I enough? Does my life matter? Right? If you're like me, uh, my deepest question, my, my deepest insecurity is I am terrified that my life is futile, that a hundred years from now, nobody's going to remember that I even uh, existed. Man, I, I, this is not on my notes, so this could get dicey. But if you watch Friends, there's a, there's a funny episode where Chandler, they're like, you, you notice they're like, all they do is sit in that coffee shop. And Chandler, they like, I think it's Chandler and Ross, they like start to get fired up and they're like, we don't do anything. All we do is sit in this coffee shop. 
And he's like, the only way anybody will ever know that I existed is the butt print on this chair. And then they like get fired up and they like want to go conquer the world. Like that's a joke. And the reason it's funny is because guys, that's what we want. We want to make a lasting impact. Okay, guys, how do we answer this question? Am I enough? There's two ways I think that guys answer the question. The first way that we answer the question is we say, yes, I am enough and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show everyone here. And the second way that we answer the, the question sometimes is we say, no, I'm, I'm not enough, so I'm just not even going to try. So let's spend a couple minutes on each one of those. I want to give some examples. Um, number one, I will prove that I'm enough. I've got a video here. Hopefully it loads. Okay, before the video starts, while it's loading, is it going to play? Notice. Not optimistic. Okay, notice the score. Notice the score. Little brother, Kansas State, losing by 22 to Kansas. Big brother. Okay, Kansas has the ball, dribbling out the clock, game's over. Okay, watch what happens. Little brother, nope. I want the game to be a 20-point game, not a 21-point game. Kansas players like, I'm not having that. I'm going to swat it against the backboard, and then I'm going to stand on top of you, assert my dominance, and then the benches are going to clear, and there's going to be a huge fight. All right. That's, that's good. Why is, I mean, this is like, this is not rare. This is common for guys, right? Um, this, is, this is a great example of men determined to prove that they matter, right? So I want to give two examples uh, just practically of how, how I think we see this. I could come up with a lot, but there's just two I'm going to go over here. One uh, is competitiveness, okay? Women, I am sure you've never noticed that guys can be competitive sometimes. Uh, but we, you know, you might not know this, but we tend to be competitive sometimes. Uh, I want to be the best at something, right? It may not be a sport, it may, but whatever it is, I want to be the best at something. I've been doing college ministry for 10 years. Every year, it does not fail. I meet, whether it's at UofL, at Bellarmine, or Western, I meet freshmen, and they're like, yeah, I'm walking on to the football team. <laughs> I'm walking on to the basketball team and of the 50 guys that I have met of the 50 people that I have met that have told me that the men are 0 for 49. None of them actually ever made the team. Uh, and the one person that walked onto the team was a girl and she like one for one, the girls that told me they were walking on one for one, the guys 0 for 49. Uh, but we're like, man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to right. We want to, we want people to know we're good at something. We're good at something that matters. All right, I want to say it doesn't have to be something unspiritual, okay? Uh, it can creep into even your Christian leadership, and I'm going to touch on that here in a little bit. Another one, uh, the second thing is we want to accumulate influence. We want to accumulate influence. So one way you might see this is wealth, okay? So this is an example, personal example from my life. I'm super in uh, to finances. Uh, I love thinking about our family's future and making sure that we're, we're prepared, uh, and one day it hit me, I actually have no desire to buy anything with any of this money. Like, I, I don't like having stuff. I really don't. And so I don't even want to buy anything. And it, I was like, why do I, why do I want to accumulate this money? And I had to, to get down to the heart, right? We talked about this a couple days ago. What's the heart underneath 
the sin. And for me, hey, the heart was, everybody knows that I'm a college minister, right? I don't know if you guys know this, college ministers don't make a lot of money, all right? And so, man, if, if John can like set his family up successfully financially, it's because he must really know what he's doing. He's doing a good job. He must, he must really be on top of it. I mean, that is so pathetic. Like, that's why I want to accumulate money. Uh, you might see it in recognition on campus. I've met the, the guy that's like, yeah, I'm in 27 clubs. One of them's like, I'm, a biz- like, I'm in the business club. I'm not even a business major, but I'm in the club, right? We want, we want all the recognition, right? Um, okay, let's go to the second one. I'm not enough, so why try? Uh, I don't have a Kansas chase down block example for this one, but I'm not enough, so why try? Um, I think the word I would use for that one is distraction. Um, Two examples I wanna hit on here. One would be entertainment. So, man, I have roles and responsibilities and things I'm supposed to lead Uh, and I don't want to think about them. So I'm just going to entertain myself. I'm going to distract myself so that I don't have to address the things that God has given me to be responsible for. Um, The next one, passivity or lack of commitment, right? So why bother leading when someone else will just do it? So this can, this type of passivity, lack of commitment, this can lead to uh, addictions. It can lead to Pornography. I don't want to die to myself and have to pursue a real woman and do all the work that that takes to get to know the mystery like Ariana was talking about. I can just indulge my fantasy without having to do any work. It can lead to glut, uh, laziness, gluttony, all sorts of things. Uh, a line that I think summarizes this, if you've ever heard it, I'm sure you have, happy wife, happy life, right? I get the sentiment, right? Oh, it's good that Uh, I just want my wife to be happy. That's a good thing, okay? But I think what is more meant by that is I don't want to mess up leading. I don't want her to be mad at me. So I'm just going to give her the leadership and I'm just going to sit in the back seat and do nothing um, and I'm going to fail to lead. Another example of this uh, passivity uh, from the uh, UofL campus when I was the campus director there um, the guys, uh, we, I don't know if you guys know this, at least in the Louisville region, when we're pestering you guys to like come to New Year's conference and stuff, we have like a little tracker and it tracks like, man, are they interested in coming? Do they need a follow-up conversation? You know, whatever. And on the tracker before New Year's conference, there was about 30 guys who are likely to go and 30 girls who are likely to go to New Year's conference. And on the guy's side, Uh, there was of the 30 that were likely to go, we're looking at the tracker and it's about three hours until the deadline to sign up. And of the 30 guys likely to go, like 29 of them still haven't signed up. Uh, and they're just like, yeah, you know, sign up later, you know, whatever. And like one of them had signed up. The girls was the exact opposite. There was like one girl still on the fence and 29 of the girls had already been signed up for weeks. They were already committed. Um, yeah, that you see, you see those registrations come through like six at a time on the girls' side. Yeah. So the fear for guys underneath all of these things is that I'm scared. If I take a risk, 
to make an impact, I'm going to fall short. And so I'm just not, I'm just not even going to try. So for the woman, we have um, the woman's curse is multiplied pain in childbirth. I have birthed two children with no medication. I can fully attest that that is a curse. It is multiplied pain in childbirth. <laughs> we were meant to be the givers of life, right? And now it hurts a lot. Um, and then the other curse is our desire shall be for our, our husband. And that doesn't mean you're really going to want to have a husband someday. Because um, the same word desire is used later where it talks about Cain and Abel. It says Cain's desire will be for Abel, and he needs to overcome that desire. His desire was to be over Abel to the point that he actually wanted to kill him and did. So our desire for our husband is actually a desire to rule over him. We do not want our curse now because we flipped the design that God gave us and gave up the intimate relationship we have with God is we want to be the ruler of our own lives now. We want to be our own Lord. We don't want anyone to lead us and tell us what to do. I mean, think about it. How are you personally when someone in authority or leadership is trying to tell you what to do? I know that I buck up against that. Are you skeptical right away when people tell you things? Um, when someone's trying to serve you, do you receive that? Um, when I was a student uh, going on my first New Year's conference, I remember getting out of the bus and some guys asked me to carry my luggage. And I was like, no. Um, I was a Division One athlete, so I was stronger and taller than most of them. So I was like, I don't need you to carry my bag. I can carry my own bag. But I was missing the point. They were, they were looking to serve, have an impact, care for me, and I just chopped them out from under their feet. And I was like, I'm going to do it myself. Um, and this is all over our culture, right? Miss Independent. Um, I'm every woman. It's all I can buy myself flowers. You know, pick what you want. They're all over the world is telling us we don't need men, right? You are independent. You do what you want to do. And that is not biblical. And that's not true. Um, we need male friendships. We need the other. That's a whole half of God's design. If we do not have men in our lives, we are missing half of who God is. So this is what has happened. Um, and this comes into ways. The Bible calls us to have a gentle and quiet spirit. So how are we when we're receiving and learning from others? Are we skeptical, mistrusting, quick to push back? Um, at the root of it, it's a vertical problem. We don't want the Lord to be Lord over us. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do with our lives. We want to take control of it ourselves. So our deepest God-given good desire, um, like John already hinted at, is our longing to be special, to be um, Yes, am I special? Am I desired? Am I delighted in? We want to be longed for, we want to be pursued, we want to be appropriately delighted in. Someone driving by and whistling at us does not feel like appropriate delight. Um, we want a specialness, we want to be chosen, we want to be desired and longed for, a mystery that's understood, an invitation that's received, a relationship that's reciprocated. Okay, these are good desires that I don't want you to squelch and try to push away. But because of that, our greatest fear now is that we would be invisible. We would not be noticed. Or worse, we would be noticed and not wanted or not treated well. Would either not be known or we would be known and not loved and rejected. And so because of this, we fight to control it. And that this falls out in a few ways. So one way that we fight to control this is by hiding. I don't want to be rejected, so I'm not going to even let someone get close enough to have the option to reject me. I will keep everybody at at least an arm's length distance from knowing me, 
I will keep my mystery as mysterious as possible so no one has the chance of knowing me enough so that they can't reject me. So we harden up, we shell up, we don't let people in, we don't like to show weakness, we never let people know that we need anything because we can do it all ourselves. Um, this is definitely me. Um, I tried to let some people in when I was younger and it hurt and it doesn't go well. And so because of that, I'm like, I will never let someone that close to me again and tried to hard up as much as I could and keep, keep people at an arm's length from really knowing who I was. So even when Lucas and I started dating, a couple months in, we almost broke up because he was like, I don't feel like I really know you. So it's hard for me to like gauge over whether or not we should get married. And it was true, I'm like, you don't know me because up to that point I didn't let him really know who I was because I was scared if he knew that he wouldn't like it and he'd walk away. And then after we got married, um, I was seeing a counselor and as the hard shell that I am, I would never cry in counseling. That's not something that I do, I don't do that. Um, because that would be weakness and I was determined not to. But I had one day with him a little bit of water came across my eyeball and he leaned in and he's like, I see some tears in your eyes. What's happening? And I was like, nothing. You don't see anything. Um, and I don't know what you're talking about, but he's like, I think we're finally having a moment. I'm like, great, so can I go home now? Um, but he said, and what happened was that he had asked me, he goes, Ariana, do you believe that you're worth knowing? And I was like, and that's when the water part came up. And I was looking around in a hundred directions to make sure it went away and did not come out of my eye. And he, that's when he was like, it seems like you're having an emotional reaction to that. Tell me what's going on. And I was like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Um, and he, so that was helpful. He's like, I have this image that your heart is like really hard, really calloused, off on an island by itself. I'm like, okay, thanks. Um, he's like, but. There's like a chip that's been moved away and I can see through the outer shell and there's a soft, warm, pulsing heart that's longing to be known. And I was like, yeah, you don't know me at all. Um, <laughs> but a lot of counseling and I told him, I hope I don't see you to heaven, but thank you for all the time. Um, because I don't wanna have to go back to counseling, right? I hope that I'm healthy, it was a good thing. Anyways, but it was really helpful and that was I think a true picture of what my heart has been like. I have let, I have hardened it over and over and over to try and protect it. But it doesn't matter how hard we try to do that and how much we try to hide. We still have that God-given good desire to be known, to be desired, to be special, to be beautiful. And that's good. It's good to want that. But we are looking for it in the wrong places. So the other way we do this, mine, mine is primarily hiding, but another way we can on the other end of the spectrum is by manipulation. So I'm afraid that someone won't want to know me, so I'm gonna make them want to know me. And we can do this by little things like, oh, I know who's under the tent, so I'm gonna make sure that I walk by at the right time, and I'm gonna laugh really loud when I'm around that person to make them notice me. So we will do small little intentional things to try to gain the attention because we're afraid they won't give it to us unless we can control them giving to us. And so we'll shapeshift in relationships. We'll be one way with somebody, and we'll be like somebody else with someone else because we're constantly trying to make sure I will not let it be an option that someone rejects me and doesn't like me. And I think we pendulum swing between these two um, a lot, but there might be one that's more prevalent to you. Hiding was definitely mine. So there are a couple of other propensities I think we have post-fall. I don't think these are true for all women, but I do think these are like 
likely, more likely struggles because of our specific result of the fall and curse. Um, I don't think I listed them, so I'll go through them quick, but one is enmeshment, um, which means being overly connected to one specific relationship. So because we broke that one with Jesus and we're afraid that we won't find that one, then we try really hard to get as fully known and as fully loved as we can in one friendship. And this can be with opposite gender or this can be with same gender. Um, we can get very nosy. We want to know more than we ever need to know about other people's lives. And then we like to be a part of gossiping that to others because we want to be a special factor. And if people know that we know something and we can share it, then that makes us special. Um, and then we struggle with insecurity at a massive level. We so badly want to be special that we've turned everybody else around us into our competition, which is sad. Instead of us like delighting in the beauty and the gifts and the differences that God has made in our, specifically our females around us, we are constantly comparing, am I prettier than her? Am I funnier than her? Am I cooler than her? Am I nicer than her? Am I dot, 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 dot? because we want it to be about us and make us at the center. Um, and then I think the big one that we definitely all struggle with and will for the rest of our lives is loneliness. Our desire for that close, intimate relationship that we have with Jesus, we had with God in the garden, but we let go of um, to be Lord of our, our own lives is now flavoring every relationship we will ever have on this side of heaven on earth. Um, because um, it will, every relationship is going to be flavored with pain. No relationship is going to satisfy that thing. We will not be fully known or fully loved in even our best relationships. Um, we, the counselor that had come in and talked to us about this, he told us a phrase. He's like, we need to embrace the sorrow. It is a sorrowful thing that we will all feel lonely the rest of our lives, but we've got to embrace that. Um, I remember hearing that a couple years ago during a gender talk about the loneliness of women and that how um, it is something we just kind of have to buckle up and be a part of and be not necessarily okay with, but embrace the sorrow of it. Like, this is sad and it makes sense. And this is what it's gonna be like. And in one weird way, it unites all of us. We all feel lonely, so we're all together and we're all in this together. Um, but it took me 10 years um, in loneliness stuff. It's taken me 10 years to get over relationships I had um, in college. I wanted them so badly to stay as close as they were when we graduated. We moved places, we moved churches, we separated from some of my deepest friendships, and it took me a long time to be okay with the adjustment of them and let them change. And um, So we've, we've got to learn to embrace that, and even inside our sweetest relationships, like marriage, there's still loneliness inside of marriage. There's still loneliness inside of parenting. There's still loneliness inside of our best, closest friendships that are really sweet, um, and I think which we'll get to in redemption. I think there's a reason that God has that for us. So Ariana shared a little bit about her personal story, um, and I, I'm gonna share a little bit about mine. So I, going back to the two types, like I am gonna prove that I'm enough for a guy or um, I'm just gonna give up. I am totally the number one type, like I wanna prove myself, and then if, except in like areas where I'm bad, so like ever, like multiple CO, Minneapolis staff uh, that just met me this week have come up to me and said, I heard you're really good at sports. And I said, no, I just only play the ones I'm good at. I avoid all the ones that I'm bad at. And that's totally true. Uh, from a young age, I excelled at things like mostly sports and school. And so I, I was receiving attention 
for, for this and it felt really good. Um, and I had to have more. And so I just kept wanting to succeed and it just got to the point where failure wasn't an option for me. I, I wanted to win everything. I wanted to win sports, grades. I wanted to have the most beautiful girlfriend, whatever it was. If it was something that I could be measured by as a man, I wanted to win it no matter how stupid it was. And my freshman year, uh, praise the Lord, I, I became a Christian. God saved me um, from the path that I was walking down straight to hell. Um, but a subtle part of, of this identity that I had, had built remain. And I became a Christian and I started to channel those things into my Christian world. And so before you knew it, I wanted to be recognized as a Christian leader. Uh, I wanted to be a great Bible study leader. And I started to realize, like, I don't think I noticed it at the time, but now looking back, I can see, man, it really felt good when I was recognized for those things. I wanted to be a great communicator. And then I got married. Uh, and it's like, how do I keep winning at this Christian thing? Well, I've got to be a great husband and a great dad. And I want to be a great campus outreach staff. And, um, you know, all great goals uh, but not the ultimate goal, right? And so uh, it all came kind of to a head in 2018. I was on our summer project, and for my and we had a one-year-old at the time. And for my entire life, as I was trying to be the best at all these things, I had uh, always kind of been able to manage all the avenues. And I, at a summer project, I don't know if you know about a campus staff job, but the best campus staff is like up till 2 a.m. having deep conversations with students. But the, <laughs> yeah, well, you're not as insecure as I am, so you're not having to <laughs> stay up late. So the best campus outreach staff stays up until 2 a.m., but the best dad wakes up early with his family. And one day, I was trying to do it all on project. I wanted the respect, I wanted the recognition, and I had stayed out really late with students the night before, and I overslept my alarm, and my wife comes in and she'd been watching our daughter all morning and she was angry at me. And uh, up to that point, I had never cried in our marriage. And that one little thing, I just broke down crying and I could not figure out what was going on. Like, why am I crying? I just could not uh, stop crying. Well, about six months later, uh, I did my assessments. Our campus outreach organization has like these assessments. Um, and there was a pastor who had been on staff with Campus Outreach, and he did my spiritual health assessment. And part of the assessment, uh, students would write in, and they would describe um, they would describe you and your leadership. And there was one particular student who I had led to Christ, and to be honest, he like you know he had a little bit of idolatry of me. And so in his like evaluation, he put all these like great things, like John's so great. I'm, I'm sure he's a sinner, but I, I've never seen any of the sins he's like struggling with. Like, he was putting all this like crazy stuff about me. And uh, Shane was his name. And he read a couple of the things that people had said. And he just looked at me and he just said, I am calling BS. Um, and he said, what are you trying to prove? And I just like, I could not figure it out. I was like, what am I trying to prove? And I was like, well, in high school, it was sports, grades, girls, whatever. But now it's like, it's dad, it's, I want to be a great CO staff. And I could not figure out what it was. And I literally sat there for like two minutes. And I finally realized, I was like, I'm trying to prove that I'm the best. And he was like, that's exactly what you're doing. 
And then he looked at me and he said, why are you so insecure? And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Uh, he's, he told me, he was like, it's acceptable as guys. We're like, yeah, I've been really struggling with pride recently. He's like, but if you really want to just call it what it is, just be honest and just tell, just tell people that you're insecure. And I was like, whoa, he's really, he's really picking on me here. Uh, later he said, Hey, if, if I meet a guy, no matter who it is, I assume something about him. I assume that he's insecure. And then he, he talk to me about some of the things I'm sharing today. He talked to me about Genesis 1. It is in who we are uh, since the fall. And so this is true of all men, both the guy who says, I'm going to prove that I'm enough, and the guy who says, I'm not enough, and so I'm not going to try. We are deeply, deeply insecure. And so let's go to redemption. What does redemption, how does Jesus redeem both manhood and womanhood? Um. So let's look at let's look at manhood. So Satan reversed created order, spun the cosmos into disarray, but in Jesus we see redemption not just for gender but uh, for everything. And so uh, I'm just going to point out two ways that our manhood is redeemed by Jesus. Um, number one is Jesus gives us lasting, meaningful purpose. He gives us eternal life. I had a friend in college, and. Uh, he had played a game of Monopoly with his friends while he was home for Christmas break or something. And he was like, I don't even think he's a Christian, but he had this like deep realization that he was willing to open up to me about. And he said, this crazy thing happened. I was playing, I was dominating, I won the game. And then when we were done, we put it all back in the box. And I think for guys, that's our, that's our fear, right? No matter what we do, no matter what we accumulate, at the end of the day, it's all just going to go back in the box. You could, you could save the world from global warming. You could become the richest man in the world. You could cure. Uh, you could find the cure for cancer. And at the end of the day, uh, to use the phrase uh, from the other day, 10 billion years from now, it's all going to be back in the box. But Jesus gives us the answer. Right? It doesn't just go back in the box. There is eternal life. You can't make your life eternal on your own. In fact, for guys, the way that we try to do that, the ways that we try to make that eternal impact apart from God are the very sins, cause us to commit the very sins that Jesus died for on the cross. And so we are sinners in rebellion against God, and we need Jesus to save us. He is the one that can give us lasting, meaningful impact. Uh, secondly, Jesus pleases the Father. Um, so the Bible is full of love language, right? So Ephesians 2, one of the best gospel passages, says that the reason Jesus did what he did is because of the great love with which he loved us, right? The Bible is full of this love language, and that makes sense because the church in the Bible is called the bride of Christ. And so this is great, but for guys, we're like, man, that love language doesn't really hit home with me. What is our deepest longing, right? Our deepest longing to the question, am I enough, is we want to hear someone say, yes, I am well pleased with you. And so we see this in the gospel. Let's look at Matthew 3, uh, 16 and 17. This is the baptism of Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so I think 
this is this is a like if there were a man's gospel in the Bible, this is the man's gospel. What what man does not want to hear a father figure, a mentor, a coach, someone who disciples them say, "Hey, I am proud of you." Uh, how many of you guys know who Donovan Mitchell is? Okay. Almost every guy in here knows who Donovan Mitchell is. Well, Donovan Mitchell went to UofL while I was on staff at UofL, and one time in the offseason, I got to play basketball with Donovan Mitchell. That was awesome. Yeah. He is probably one of the top 10 NBA players yeah, in the NBA right now. For everybody else. <laughs> so I got to play basketball with him when he was in college. And I like to think that I was like decent, and then there was like three scrubs on our team, and it was like me and Donovan Mitchell running the show. And, you know, I made this pass during the game, and this kid, you know, I'm probably like 27 at the time, to a freshman, he goes in, and he scores a layup, and he runs down the floor, you know, nice pass. And I'm like, yeah, who cares? You know, it's just a freshman. I don't care if he thinks I made a nice pass. But... I made a pass to Donovan Mitchell, and he rose up, and he dunked it, ran some, runs down the floor, he's like, nice pass. And I'm like, did anybody else see, like, Donovan Mitchell just said, I made a nice pass. What's the difference? Like, I don't care if that freshman says I made a nice pass. Donovan Mitchell, when it comes to basketball, is one of the 10 best players in the NBA. He is praiseworthy. I care when he says that I made a nice pass. This is just a game of basketball, right? But what that did in my heart, in just a game of basketball, think about something eternal, right? If you are in Jesus, okay, not a coach, not an earthly father, not a mentor, not Donovan Mitchell is saying, I'm proud of you, but the Lord looks at you if you are in Christ and he says, you are my son. With you, I am well pleased. That is incredible, right? God is... God is not proud of you. He's not saying, hey, you did it by yourself. If you're in Christ, if you're covered by the blood, Jesus will look at you, right? The theme, look. If we look to Jesus, that one day he's going to look at us in our union with Christ and he's going to say, you are my son. With you, I am well pleased. One of the things I love about God and his wisdom is um, just the wonderful ways that he designs things. So I think about the woman's curse, and I'm like, why did God direct his curse, even for the male, too, at our deepest desire? Like, why, why didn't he just give us a weird hair loss or an extra toe or a digestive problem or something? But instead, he goes at I'm like, glad he didn't. Yeah. Someone else got that anyways, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad he goes at the core of our deepest desire, which is to have sweet intimacy with others. And I think the reason he does this is twofold. One, because the punishment fit the crime, right? He had given us the most intimate relationship with him, and we were like, yeah, I would rather lord over my own life and we betrayed it. Um, and so because of that, now all of our relationships are tainted and broken and sorrowful and full of loneliness because we are constantly trying to make ourselves the center of that friendship or that relationship um, when that was never what it was supposed to be. He was always supposed to be the center. But the other reason that I think he lets the curse go right at that is because he loves us. Like, think about what that does. If every single relationship is always going to be flavored with loneliness and a longing for more, then it's going to make us want to look somewhere else, right? And so it forces us to look to him. I mean, think of our theme. Um, 
looking outside of ourselves and realizing, you know, nothing here is actually working. No, all these relationships are actually leaving me a little bit empty. Maybe I was meant to be satisfied somewhere else, which is just the beauty of his love for us. He talks about his, he describes his love as being jealous for us. So he loves us too much to let us just be nearly satisfied with the friendships and relationships we have here. But he's not going to let us be satisfied with them because he wants to win our hearts back to him. And leaving us dissatisfied is going to make us turn to find him. So it's really beautiful that he does that. Um, the other thing in his redemption to us is that Jesus restores that most intimate relationship that we're looking for. Our desire to be special, pursued, and delighted in is possible now. We can find it, but if not here. Um, C.S. Lewis has a quote where he says, if I find in myself desires in which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I'm made for another world. Okay, so this was huge for me in college when it felt like everything in my life was falling apart. I'm like, why does everything suck? Like volleyball's not satisfying, my family's not satisfying, my relationships aren't satisfying, and it helped me see maybe I'm meant to be satisfied somewhere else, and it helped me turn to see more of Jesus. So this mystery is being revealed to us now because of Jesus and his relationship to God and what his payment that he did. He's restoring that relationship that we broke. He's doing the work that we should have done to move back to restoring it, but we weren't able to do. We're not like, if you think of a fancier, beautiful story, any movie you've watched, we're not like this damsel in distress that someone needs to come up to the castle and save us. We are the dragon that's slaying the enemy. Okay, and he is coming to us though and saying, I'm gonna make you the beautiful bride dressed in white that can come down and have this wedding with me, which we don't deserve if we are the evil dragon. But because of Jesus' blood, it says now we are bought with a price, we are chosen, we are adopted, we are called his heirs, we get to inherit his kingdom. I mean, talk about wanting to be special, right? What more special is there than the God of the universe saying that he will buy us with a price? He will choose us. He will adopt us. He will make us heirs of his kingdom. He left his perfect union that he had, came down to be a tiny little ant, blemished as a human, rejected. Talk about pursuit towards us. Um, I think of, I put my hand on a blade for you, step in front of a train for you. Bruno, well, what about get mocked, whipped, murdered, hung on a cross, rejected by every friend, and lonely for every possible way from your own father? Sorry, Bruno, but you have nothing on God. Um, okay, and Jesus did all of that so that he could purchase you at a price, the price of his blood. Like that shows the specialness that he has for us and for his children. And then we want to be delighted in, right? I love this verse, Zephaniah 3.17 says, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. What? <laughs> the God of the universe who sang the world into existence is going to sing over me? Like that seems crazy, but that's what he says he's going to do. So even if I don't feel it, I believe that it's true. He will do this for his people because he loves us. And this is what our promised redemption is as believers and those of us who trust in Jesus. So all the temporary pains of our relationships, all the sorrow that we will embrace and the loneliness that's there, um, we can look to him. And I think that it's so beautiful because even in the good and the bad, it still makes us look to find more Jesus. 
when Lucas fails to care for me, hypothetically, this never happens, um, it forces me to realize, wait, Lucas is not my Jesus. He was not meant to satisfy me. And then I get to look at Jesus and how he is a better husband and how God is a better father. And even when Lucas does care for me well, then it's just a shadow. It doesn't make me end on Lucas. Like, yes, he finally became Jesus for me. It's like, wow, that was a sweet taste of what I'll get to have for eternity forever. So in the hearts and in the beauties, they both point me back to look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to him. And it's, it's sweet for us and loving that he would do that. So our desire, we don't want to be invisible. We're afraid, um, well, Tim Keller has a quote that goes well with this. He says, to be loved and known is comforting, or sorry, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. Because there is no possible relationship that can do that to us here. Uh, because we're all sinners. Lucas will never fully, I don't even fully know myself. I'm still learning a lot about myself. But Lucas will never fully know me. Therefore, he can't ever fully love me. And he won't fully love me well, truly, because he's not God, he's sinful. The only one that can is God. And he says in Psalm 139, read that whole thing. He knows when you sit down, he knows when you lie down, he knows a word before it's on your tongue. He designed you and made you when you were in your mother's womb. Like he knows everything about you. And he still says, this helps me when I think about what if every thought, desire, action of your life, we were put up on a PowerPoint right now and hit play. And everyone here got to watch everything that ever went on in your life, internally, in your mind and thoughts and desires. Uh, I, I would hope that you would be like, ah, <laughs> I don't want people to see that. And there are things on there that even you would be surprised by because we don't know ourselves fully. But God knows what that whole thing would play. And he would look at that and say, I love that. And I want that. And I'm going to pay the whole price of my son for that. That is fully known and truly loved. Um, I did have a tiny glimpse of this um, that was really sweet early on in our marriage. Lucas and I, we were probably like, we were under a year. That's all I know. Because I was like, well, we're already getting out of the honeymoon stage. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, it's mainly my heart. This is going to be my heart last time. Jesus loves it. Um, <laughs> I was starting, and do you remember my story about being irritated by the mannerisms of my roommates on project? Imagine me inside of marriage. So I was like, oh, okay. And then I was getting really overwhelmed by things, bothered by things, but of course I hide, so I was not letting Lucas know anything. But he's intuitive, so he was like, are you okay? Is anything going on? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Um, eventually, after a few days, he was like, are you sure you're okay? And I was like, I can't believe it anymore. I was like, okay, I'm so sorry, but I cannot stand the way you eat your cereal. The way that you, it's always chomp, chomp three times, open your mouth, slurp, chomp, chomp three times, open your mouth, and you leave the box open all the time. And the way that you stand around, like you've got this huge belly, but you don't, and walk with your heels, and it was just thing after thing that I was like, I can't, you're just bothering me, you're leaving your toothpaste open, you're just doing all these things that I was like, I can't. I, and I just thought after I listed all these things that he was going to be like, I'm going to be a crazy woman. But he didn't. He just looked at me. And if you know Lucas, he has this really weird habit of smiling in the middle of conflict that really creeps me out. <laughs> he just said nothing, picked me up off the couch, took me to our room, and gave me back massage. 
And I just wept <laughs> because I was like, I, did you hear anything just said in the living room? Like, I do not deserve this right now. But he showed me the gospel. Like, he just loved me and was gracious to me. And I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, I married such a great guy. Because I remembered that cereal. I was sitting there thinking, this is, this is a taste. This is a taste of grace. Like, redeem, like receiving something I don't deserve. And so there are beautiful ways we can paint that to each other, but that is what it's like to be loved by God, fully known. To, I unveiled a little bit of myself, and he cared for it well. Well, we unveil all of ourselves to the Lord, whether we want to or not, and he wants all of it and moves towards us and purchases it for us. All right, so we're going to close uh, with some application. So I want to just double down that for men and women, our original design was good and so the last thing we want to do is 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 squash that um, for guys it is great that you want to make a lasting meaningful impact but because we live in this fallen world uh, these desires need direction and so i've just got three three ways that uh, i want us to think about applying it so number one would be uh, be open about the insecurity the sin and insecurity in your heart and so what I mean by that is, like Shane challenged me to do, don't just say like, I'm, you know, I'm just struggling with pride right now or, you know, whatever. Get to the why underneath the sin and think about, man, what is the insecurity in me? And then confess it to brothers in Christ. Um, it was challenging for me to stand up here and admit, not just that I have an idol of money, but that man, there's a deep insecurity underneath it. Um, and it's embarrassing to say out loud. But when you do it, when you bring it to the light, uh, it loses power in your life. And it, and it clothes you in the humility, right? That is humbling to actually admit your insecurity. Um, but is that not what it means to become a Christian, to humbly uh, say that I have nothing and I need you, Jesus? Uh, secondly, I challenge you to take initiative. Uh, every year on staff, it seems like we've tried to leave Bible studies in the dorm and almost always I'll call like a freshman who's kind of like maybe running point. And I'm like, Hey, uh, that Bible study tonight, are you ready for it? And like, Oh, that's tonight. Oh, I totally forgot. I'm going to get chili dogs with my friends. Sorry. I'm not going to be there. That happens all the time. Okay. Well, one year I called a uh, freshman at the time his name was Luke and I said hey Luke the Bible studies tonight are you ready and he was like yeah I already talked to the RA uh, I've got the the study room reserved for us to meet in I was like that's awesome do you like any idea who's coming he's like yeah all the guys that have said yes I already went around and knocked on all their doors and I know who's coming I didn't have to prod him or hold his hand he took that initiative uh, and he did that himself and so I think man we need more men like that today, willing to take initiative like that. Uh, and then the third thing I would say, this is challenging for guys, but cultivate intimacy with God. Um, so we're going to look at Mark uh, 3, 13 through 15. Yeah, you can just go back to that one later. Uh, and he went up, this is Jesus, when he calls the disciples. So I guess you guys read this maybe last week on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired and they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons 
you know, so often I'll read this passage. This is one of the uh, passages I look at with students a lot, and I'll say, hey, why did Jesus call the disciples? And nine times out of ten, the guys will say, oh, he wanted us to uh, preach and uh, send out, you know, have authority to cast out demons. I say, is that the first thing that he wanted? And I look back, yeah, that's all I see. No, the first thing he says is that he's calling the twelve disciples so that they might be with him. Jesus doesn't always just want something from us. He's not always just sending us on mission. He wants to be with us. He wants to enjoy us. And so even another place, Jesus, the the disciples get back from succeeding in ministry. And he says, hey, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And so guys, read God's word and soak it up. And don't do what our tendency to do is to go from your head and to understand it straight to your hands and what you need to do. Let God's word take a long detour in your own heart and let it shape you and and grow close in your intimacy with the Lord. And women, I've got an encouragement for you as well. Uh, I I am challenging you to encourage these men on project and in your life. They want to make a lasting and meaningful impact. And so if you see them taking initiative or serving um, or leading well through a difficult situation, I hope you think, man, that guy is doing a really good job. But don't stop there. Go up and tell them, hey, you're doing an awesome job with that. I, I joke with my wife, like, Shannon, if you really want to tell me that you love me, say, John, that was a really difficult situation with the kids and you did a great job handling that. I'm like, man, that like melts my heart when you tell me that. Um, so encourage them. And then also uh, another one, kind of off the cuff here. Um, it's good to get dicey. Uh, cut me off if I say anything bad. If I so start walking in the hot water. <laughs> um, so a few, um, I don't know, this is the beginning of the semester, I think. It was warm. And there was like nine of us, and we all went to play disc golf. And there was like seven guys and a couple girls. And... You know, before you know it, it's hole one, and you know, one of the guys gets a birdie, another guy gets a par, and he's already talking trash. Why he's better than them. The other guy's like, oh, play me at basketball. I'm better than you at basketball. And the other guy's like, well, I'm, no, you're not. And even if you were, I'm better at you at 2K. And then, like, they're just arguing. And you're like, man, that's going to go on for like one or two holes. For 18 holes, we're playing disc golf, and they are arguing about who's better at all these other things, not even disc golf that we're playing. And Meanwhile, the two girls are sitting there, and none of the guys have asked the girls a single question. There's these beautiful mysteries who want to get, you know, who want people to ask them questions, and the guys are just sitting over there arguing about who's better at all these pointless things. And so, women, what I want you to hear is, I know this can be very annoying. I was annoyed. I was annoyed by whole two, and I can only imagine how annoyed you must have been but in their own funny way, these guys are trying to impress you. Even if they're not romantically interested in you, even if they're not like, I want to ask for a date, so I'm trying to impress you, they want to impress you. And so, as annoyed as you are, that's fair. Try to also just be a little flattered as well. one would be to fight to step away from the controlled pendulum 
Um, we're trying so hard to control and be the center, be the Lord of our own lives, and the only way to step away from that is to dethrone ourselves, which requires repentance. Um, we need to lay down our arms, our weapons, um, and re-trust in the Lord. I think of Jeremiah 17 that talks about um, cursed is the man who trusts in himself, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. So that's that's the biggest thing we need to get to in our control pendulum is retrusting in the Lord and laying down our weapons against him, putting him back on the throne in our hearts. Um, the second application would be to risk imitation. Uh, my greatest fear with Lucas is that I would be a burden to him, that I would be too much for him to handle. Um, but it was helpful to learn when this counselor was doing this training with us that that's just a fact, like I am too much for him. And we are too much for anybody else to handle because we were meant to be handled in the Lord, not in each other, um, friendships, relationships, etc. So in one sense, we just need to embrace the fact that my heart is too much for anyone else to handle because my heart was meant for the Lord and he's my hero that gets to care for it. Um, and embracing the sorrow that comes with um, every relationship that's going to have some loneliness in it. But in that, that we would continue to open up the womb of our heart and risk and risk invitation again and again. Um, the counselor that did this, his name is Cofield. He had a redeemed woman um, description that I thought was really helpful. So I put that up here. And he says, a redeemed woman is a woman at rest with her beauty that risks inviting others toward her without defense or pretense for God's glory. So this is a woman when we fight, when God redeems us out of our curse, is we are a woman that's at rest with our beauty. We risk inviting others towards us without defense or pretense for God's glory. I just thought that was really beautiful. Um, the next application would be ultimately to be a woman after God's own heart. God is mysterious yet knowable. God is fighting for you. God's the only place that's going to fully know you and fully love you. He's the one that gives you your specialness, your meaningfulness. Um, so we should go to him and pursue his heart. I think of a lot of biblical women, characters of women in the Bible, um, but two stood out to me. I think of Mary, Jesus' mother. She is a great biblical woman. Um, in Luke 1, the angel comes to her and says, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So she clearly is in a beautiful state of relationship with God. And then she's told that she's going to have a baby, and he's going to, and she's a virgin, and this baby is going to be the son of the Most High. So you can imagine what's going on in her head. Um, but then her response to all that is, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And I just think, man, what it would be like for us to respond that way to the Lord, to anything that he puts in our lives. I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to his word. And then I think of Mary and Martha. Um, you know, Jesus interacts with both of them. Martha invites Jesus in, and then she's busying around everywhere, cleaning, cooking, all this stuff, and gets upset that Mary's not helping. But Jesus celebrates Mary. He says, Mary has chosen the one thing that matters, the good portion, because um, she sat at his feet to listen to him. And so I want us all, myself included, because I'm definitely like Martha, um, that we would be like Mary, that we would be um, seeking after Jesus' own heart, choosing the one thing that is necessary. So when you think of biblical womanhood, think of sitting at his feet, looking to Jesus. We can't become this woman at rest in our own beauty if we chase after that in and of itself. We chase after God's own heart, and he will redeem us 
to that beautiful list of what that would be woman is. And then my application to the men would be to get to know these beautiful mysteries <laughs> that are surrounded around you. Like, your God is mysterious, and your God is inviting you to know him in personal relationship. And from that relationship with your God, you will get life. And every single woman that is around you is a painting of that over and over and over and over. A mystery that's going to invite you to get to know them, and the more you get to know them, your life will be enriched. Like, it's a, they, we are givers of life. That's how God has created us. You will have more life from getting to know us. So get to know these mysteries, ask them questions, um, enjoy them. And it doesn't mean you have to be interested in them to date them. This is half of who God is that's surrounded around you. So if you guys, and this is an application to both genders, if you guys are serious about wanting to know your God more, then you need to take opposite gender friendships very seriously because half of who God is is in that other gender. So if you guys want to know him more, then lean into knowing each other more. Um, and the other application to both genders would be just to celebrate one another's differences. I don't understand men, I really don't. And that's good, because the more I get to know them, the more I get to understand who God is in that way. So instead of being separate because of that, get to know and then celebrate that in one another. So we're gonna pray and be done. Thank you guys. This was long, but thank you for sticking with us. I'm gonna pray. <laughs> Lord, we are so thankful uh, that you made man and woman in your image. Um, God, we, we repent because we fail every day to accurately uh, portray that image to the world. Um, but God, as we fail, as we have insecurities, as we have questions, Lord, these things you give us, Lord, that we may not look to ourselves for ultimate uh, answers and satisfaction, but that we may look to Jesus. And so, Lord, uh, would we uh, believe in Jesus? Would we be satisfied uh, in him? And Lord, would, would the men and women in this room, Lord, would uh, the story of the way that you have redeemed us through Jesus, Lord, would that paint a beautiful picture of who you are to the world? Lord, would people in the world be attracted to you because of the picture uh, men and women in this room paint of you? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the 2023 Summer Training Project, hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of the North Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.